0: The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy this morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at ninety point nine WBUR or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later on the podcast at BU.edu slash chapel. This first week of our annual Summer Preacher Series, we welcome to the pulpit the Rev. D. Wade of Anchorage Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Kentucky. Our dean, the Rev. Reverend Do- Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his greetings as he is away in these summer months, and we look forward to his return in mid-August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Oh. Please be seated. As we gather in this Gothic nave in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know God, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited, out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see? How can we know if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps and offer them to God in whose light we may see light. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will, con- will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. My name is Dee Wade, and um, as uh, mentioned, I'm pastor of Anchorage Presbyterian Church, which is a a community church right outside of uh, the city of Louisville in Kentucky. It is my privilege to be here with you this morning, to be a part of this uh, uh, summer preaching series. Um, It it, it was my privilege uh, 30 some years ago to meet a uh, tall, somewhat awkward, Um, but an always friendly and warm and affectionate young man, Bob Hill, um, as we uh, were in seminary together uh, at Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York. And that relationship has been one of those types that that grows and grows over the years, even though distance also grows. Um, The type of relationship in which um, I could call Bob and and start in mid-sentence, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about and we're, 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 go, we're launching from there. Um, that's one of the graces, that's been one of the graces of my life uh, and I am deeply uh, grateful for that. Before, in, in, in our uh, congregation, before we read scripture lessons, we try to set them in some kind of context, literary, historical, uh, whatever. Um, and that's what I'm gonna do before I read the, um, uh, the Old Testament lesson For the morning. Since chapter 12, the story of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people, has occupied the book of Genesis. It has been an up and down story of call and response, of moments of stunning faith, and equally stunning moments of unfaith, even cowardice. By the time we reach the chapter before us, the long promised child God has promised Abraham and his wife Sarah has arrived and grown into that dicey stage between boyhood and, adult, and manhood. The boy's name is derived from the Hebrew for laughter, but there is nothing funny about the story we'll, we will read. It is, in fact, one of those stories which befuddles the mind, makes the skin crawl, and flips the stomach. It comes, scholars tell us, from the fertile that fertile Old Testament source who tends to depict God in anthropomorphic terms as a child might the source's style is simple but but not simplistic the more he emphasizes God's plain presence the more the mystery of God appears the more he shows the humanity of God the holy otherness of God steps forward His stress on God's imminence, God's closeness, also highlights God's transcendent remoteness. This is not the easiest story to read, much less understand, but few stories in the Bible are more important or carry such weight. The old rabbis call our passage the Akedah, or the binding of Isaac, based on the Hebrew word for tying up an animal before it is sacrificed, on an altar. Genesis 22, the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and we will worship. Then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Let us join in reading verses from Psalm 119 responsively with the antiphon. is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Deo, the gospel lesson and the singing of our hymn.
3: Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. Glory to you, O Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ.
1: Be seated. A few weeks ago, we shook our heads at the story of a 44-year-old Long Island woman who was arrested for threatening bodily harm to a Little League baseball coach and his family. It seems that her son was not selected to play on a traveling All-Star Little League team. She was outraged that anyone would reject her son for such an important opportunity, and she was not going to take this insult lying down. In a letter addressed to the coach, she wrote, I will personally make it my goal to make sure that you and your family will suffer dearly. You will rot in hell soon. The woman sent another frightening letter to the coach's 14-year-old son. A sentence read, Think about it. If something terrible happens to your dad or mom or sister, you can blame your dad for not taking my threats seriously." Closer to my home in Louisville, another mother was arrested when her two children, ages two and five, were found wandering alone in a grocery store half mile from their home. They had infected bug bites, hadn't eaten in a long time, and the two-year-old hadn't had a diaper change in at least eight hours. People found the mother at home sleeping, and she was charged for being in possession of a controlled substance, as well as two counts of wanton endangerment, criminal abuse, and endangering the welfare of a minor. It's a sign of our times. The culture in which we live toggles between child overindulgence one moment, and child neglect, the next. We are at least conflicted about the way we accept children into our lives and prepare them for lives of their own. It is a fairly recent phenomenon for parents to worship their children to such an unhealthy extent, and it is also a recent phenomenon in the precise way we presently abuse children. abuse children. People in the past, especially in the ancient Near East, did not have the luxury to create either child-centered families or child-ignoring families. However, in the time of Abraham and Sarah, the antecedents of our present ambivalence about children can be found. And as I hope we will see, this passage is not just about the care and feeding of children, but also about and maybe primarily about broader, deeper relationships between God and ourselves. I imagine Sarah wondering what these four men and one donkey are up to as she watches them walk away toward distant mountains. I see the old woman standing in an anachronistic kitchen from the 1950s before dishwashers and microwaves. She's at the sink washing the breakfast dishes, looking out her uh, anachronistic kitchen window as these five figures recede ever so slowly from her sight, getting smaller and smaller and smaller, becoming dancing dots against the desert floor, until they disappear over the horizon. Men, she grunted, if they let anything happen to my boy, they will have to answer to me. We appreciate her concern. Isaac was the golden boy, the son of her old age, that her sole source of comfort, the child of blessing, child of promise. She knew that life was fragile enough when a child is kept close at home, with its thousands way of thousands of ways to die, from snake bite to whooping cough, so why would that old coot husband of hers tempt fate by carrying off the child that was the literal answer to their literal prayers, and take that child to a desolate, God-forsaken mountain? And she had reminded Abraham about the need for a lamb to take with him. For the sacrifice, he mumbled something about God providing the sacrificial lamb. And that comment spun her mind into a crazy place. She could not countenance for more than a second or two before seeking the distraction of her work. When the first of his three daughters were born, Frederick Beaton remembers feeling, feeling pure elation, fulfillment, the proud papa. She was the hope of the world. She was a living, breathing article of faith, squalling in that hospital delivery room. She was another child, another chance that one human being at least could get it right, could be good and do all things well. Reflecting over that birth years and years later as a parent who had raised real children in a real world rather than dreamy children in a dreamy world, Buechner noticed that joy, the joy that children often bring is, often is not matched and sometimes overmatched by the pain they sear into our hearts. If we don't want the pain, we must push back the love, more effectively not have children at all, to love anyone is to suffer for them, by them, with them. He or she who would avoid pain and suffering should avoid attachment of any kind. But Beethoven asked, "If we knew that the love for our—if we knew where the love for our children would take us, even to the depths of despair, would we still have them?" Yes. It is the one worthwhile feature of our species, evidence for the grace of God running through our lives. Because children represent life to us, and life is all about love, and love is all about God, who is the Lord of both life and love. And it may be trite, but it is nonetheless true. The giver of life is to be worshipped over the gifts of life. And that is what Abraham is sifting through as he trudges along toward the far mountain where he will meet his destiny and the destiny of his son and the destiny of his people. Indeed, we believe the destiny of the world and the whole created order. For out there in the bleak beyond, Abraham is not just tempting fate, he is tempting faith. The faith he has in God, and the faith he believes God has in him, and this whole project of His, of God's, for the redemption of humanity, which begins with Abraham being asked to go to a land God will show him, and Abraham's simple act of commitment, and Abram went. The one chosen to reveal God's will for redemption the progeny of whom will bless not just Abraham and his family, but the whole wide world. The question Abraham mulls over and over again in his mind, trudging along the dusty, rocky road of existence is this. Do I love God for God's own self? Or do I love God because of all the blessing God gives me? Do I love God purely and utterly, or is my love and commitment to God a desire to manipulate God into answering my prayers in the way I want them answered? If I do love God purely, then I will obey God's command to go and offer my son, the son of promise, as a sacrifice to God. I will obey God even as I trust that God will, in truth and in fact, provide a sacrifice that is not my beloved Isaac. That is Abraham's test of faith, and it is much like Job's test. In turn, it is much like our test of faith, too. It is easy, is it not, to love God when you credit God with a wonderful marriage two kids with straight teeth, good dispositions, and academic scholarships to whatever you, and a townhouse in the city and a vacation home by the sea, and a great big fat 401k on top of pensions and guaranteed health care besides Social Security. But replace all that with a rotten marriage to a sad and angry person with whom you have two challenged and problematic and therefore very expensive children with little or no prospect of independence, and only your credit card balances are great, big, and fat, and periodic unemployment and perennial underemployment have consigned you to a Medicaid-based future dependent upon the largesse of government or family or charity or none of the above. If you take that as God's will for your life, can you still love God? Can you still trust God? Sarah, back in her kitchen at home, is being tested as well. Even if only three men return from the strange journey they are on, minus the boy, will she be grateful for having had Isaac, the child that brought her laughter, even for a short time? I don't know, but I think she will. Oh, she will be angry with God for a long, long period of her life and even angrier with Abraham for having listened to God. But I'm betting she will still be grateful for her one period of love for love's sake and in that gratitude will reside God's everlasting grace, God's saving act. And even God is tested in this passage. Are the promises of God true or false? as human as our storyteller casts God, is God a victim of the divine ego, like we are trapped by ours? Apparently not. Though you'll notice that God bumps up against a limit in Genesis 22. God needs to know something. God seeks to learn something. God is on God's own journey here. At stories beginning, God didn't know if Abraham would be willing to give up his son for the sake of God's love. At story's end, God finds out. At other times in the sequence of events between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, Abraham fails miserably in his trust of God. Not once, but twice does he offer his loving wife Sarah into the hands of a competing tribal leader to do with her as he will, just to save his own skin. He is the cowardly lion without prospect of gaining a strong heart. But here, on Mount Moriah, Abraham trusts God completely. He gets it right for once. He offers up the one thing on earth he loves more than anything else. And God provides an alternative sacrifice, a ram who was caught in a thicket, not by chance, but because God put it there. A God who trusted Abraham perhaps more than Abraham trusted himself. A cross current within the biblical stream has always been suspicious of the sacrificial system. The prophets like Isaiah and Micah are particularly hard on the hypocrisy that comes from using religion, using God, as a means to self seeking ends. So here God makes good on the divine word a sacrifice is provided and the bound Isaac is unbound. Not only that, the blessing is unbound too. Earth can breathe again. The world is offered a fresh start. Humanity has a reason to hope. The storyline of redemption continues through Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Joseph and his brothers, down to Kings David and Solomon and forward through time, to Jesus of Nazareth and Mother Mary and Mother Mag- and Mary Magdalene and the rest of his disciples. And now the story of peace and reconciliation is ours to tell, ours to live. God provides, God gives, because God is Savior. God is gracious and loving and an ever-present help who refuses time after time after time not to give up on the people God has made, even when those people give God every reason to abandon them to their own devices. God tests because God is Lord, sovereign over all. God wants to know who the people of God really are, whether they are able to love God for the right reasons, not just because of the goodies God drops their way. Oddly enough, The testing of Abraham and of us pays him and us a huge compliment. God wants to work with people who are more or less mature and responsible and reliable to carry through on their commitments. God seeks out Jesus' followers, the Christ-like among us, to be God's agent out there in the world, doing God's work, being God's people, not for our sake, not to make the church a more successful, more powerful institution, but for the peace, the love, the justice, and the joy that only God can bring. God wants, us to, wants to put us through a little continuing education to teach us that we only possess what we are willing to give away. We only love those whom we are willing to get, grant freedom from our control. Is it in God we trust? Or is it in the benefit package? Week after week we pray, lead us not in temptation. Do not put us to the test, since we are not sure that we are up to the challenge. And knowing our limitations, week after week we pray for God's provision. Give us each day the bread we will need for our journey. Because we know we will all be tested sooner or later. And we need sustaining food for our bodies and our souls. As she grew up, one of Frederick Biegner's three daughters developed a nasty case of anorexia nervosa. And she was quite literally starving herself to death. She just about starved her whole family to death in an emotional sense as well. Her illness dragged on for years. Nothing Beekner nor his wife tried worked. Doctors were baffled. Finally, she was committed to a hospital because a judge determined that she was a danger to herself. Beekner rushed to her bedside breathless with the desire to help her to stand with her, to hold her hand through this process, but he was turned away from her hospital door by wise doctors and therapists. They finally convinced him that the more that he tried to help his beloved child, the more her case worsened because he was the part of the complex that, from which her disease grew. He could not make her well. She would have to choose health herself. The only way Beekner could really help her was to stand back and let go of her, even if that meant she might die. So he did back off, and over time, she began to eat again, reaching for life and love over darkness and death. It is the hardest, therefore the most important lesson of all, the lesson of letting go and putting all faith in God. It is the first and last lesson of discipleship. Jesus said, for whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Meanwhile, back home, with Sarah in the kitchen, looking out the window, six days after her menfolk began their strange journey, she notices a few specks on the far horizon. They grow and they grow until they begin to look like people, stick figures, four people and one donkey. Sarah is witnessing resurrection. They are all, not just the boy, back from the dead. The joy is returning to her life. The laughter will yet ring within her household and across the world as well, for God does not just heal family troubles and answer personal pleas for provision. God also provides for the healing of the nations, the renewal of the entire created order to borrow a current expression, that's how the love that the God of heaven and earth rolls, a promise spoken from Genesis to Revelation and many points in between. Centuries later, another man would climb a mountain and like Isaac carrying the wood for the altar, he would carry his cross, but there would be no ram in the thicket for him when humanity, the world, the creation really needs a sacrifice to be made, God says, let me do that for you. For if I'm going to command you to love God with all you've got and to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, maybe I need to show you what that looks like, that I'm willing to go to hell and back for love's sake. The man carrying his cross was a true child of Abraham. He was Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, our graceful, giving Savior, and our righteousness-commanding Lord. Amen. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are God's judgments. How inscrutable God's ways. For from God and through God and to God are all things. To God be glory forever. Amen.
0: As we come to the time in our service when we offer our prayers and petitions before the throne of grace, I would invite you to assume an attitude of prayer, either remaining in your seat or coming to the communion rail or kneeling or standing according to your tradition. As we sing our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. Let us pray for the church and for the world. I will conclude each petition. Lord, in your mercy, please respond. Hear our prayer. Grant, almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations, in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. We commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled, and we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us commend ourselves and all for whom we pray to the mercy and protection of God this day. O God, you make us glad with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week to come may be spent in your favor. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The peace of the Lord be always with you. It is a great joy once again to welcome you here to Marsh Chapel today. I hope you will take a moment to put your name and contact information on the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass the pad along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We would note that this is the first Sunday of our annual Summer Preacher Series, and we welcome once again Reverend D. Wade. He will be again, here again with us this coming Sunday on July 17th, and we hope you will join us this Wednesday at noon in the marshroom downstairs, where Reverend Wade will lead a discussion on the theme, Wither Personalism, personalism being the great philosophical tradition housed right here at Boston University throughout the early and middle parts of the 20th century. We hope you will join us once again Wednesday at noon. We would note that upcoming services and activities are posted on the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
3: God, we give you thanks for the blessings you have bestowed upon us, blessings which we often do not appreciate and sometimes do not even see. We ask you to bless these gifts as we dedicate them to your service. May you find ways for them to be a blessing for others, in which we, ways in which we cannot see or even imagine. Amen. <laughs>
1: Because the world is hungry, go with bread. Because the world is filled with fear, go with courage. Because the world is in despair, go with hope. Because the world is living lies, go with truth. Because the world is sick with sorrow go with joy. Because the world is weary of warfare go with peace. Because the world is seldom fair go with justice. Because the world is under judgment, go with mercy. And because the world will die without it, go with love. And now may the gracious God of our Lord Jesus Christ guide us with the light of the gospel and by the lively power of the Holy Spirit, gather us into the beloved community both now and forever. Amen.